3: Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be Mr. Briscoe, wherever he is. And we have a movie star, a best-selling author, the mayor of Knox County, the Big Red Machine, former WWE champion, world heavyweight champion, ECW champion, and part of the greatest storyline, arguably, in WWE history, and a WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Glenn
0: Jacobs. Glenn, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, John. More importantly one half of the Spy Meter Spy tag team. That's right. That's right.
3: <laughs> Glenn and I together, they brought him over to uh, Bremen, Germany. I was working for Otto Vance over there, and we all went out to watch uh, Glenn work because we had all these duds that had come over from America. And so we're coming out there. We're going, oh, this is going to be this going to be awful. This is going to be awful. Then we start watching Glenn's match, and it's really good. And we thought, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> he, he's actually very good. <laughs> and then Otto put us together and we were the Zwei-Meter yes. and Zwei
0: tag team. In in the uh the hardest ring, arguably in the entire northern hemisphere uh, <laughs> there in Bremen, Germany. Um, I remember, man, I was I forget who it was. i had been using a power bomb as my finish. And I was supposed to go over in this match, And like, you know, what's your finish? And it was like power bomb. And like, can you just roll me up or something? <laughs> just- <laughs> I'm kind of a big guy. I don't know if that'll work. Uh, but yeah, that was that was the absolute hardest ring. I think yeah. that I've ever been in, in my entire life.
3: I don't know yeah. how hard the kill ring was. You know, kill ring was famous in St. Louis for being hard. But this ring yeah. had just yeah. as hard. It had that two foot apron outside of it. So you couldn't go over the rope without hitting the apron in the middle. That was just it was just like concrete. It was an old boxing ring, I think.
1: Yep, John, not only on. was that ring in St. Louis hard, it was big it was a 22 footer. So when, when, uh, sometimes the hill would call a crisscross just to mess with your head, you know, and you'd be about one crisscross, about two minutes later, you'd come in for the tackle. You know, that was about the only time uh, tackle the uh, crisscross you would see was one, you wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> do no crisscross and, you know, maybe <laughs> facing the both crisscrossing. And, and when they'd throw you into the, to the, uh, Turnbuckles, you know, we all have, you know, our little routine. It's three steps in or three or four steps in boom. You're into the turnbuckle That damn 22 footer up there. Somebody mm-hmm. grab you, throw you into the turnbuckle. You walk like 20 feet before you you, <laughs> you get tossed. And then it was like five steps in It always threw that off. You know, whatever time you come in, he working with some of the big guys. St. Louis had a real big boost show lock. I remember the first match I had with him up there. Moose of like 500 pounds and he misjudged a step. And I think I caught him on that half four and a half step. And he come in, he, 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 me, squished me up against that damn, turnbuckle uh, there. I went down and I didn't think I was going to get up. He's pulling my hair and anything. Get a hold of, get up, get up. Cause he was scared to death because uh, it messed up the spot there, but uh, <laughs> those things—they so were all the rings over in Germany stiff like that. Because you know, I know when I started, you know, we had those, those steel rings that were basically boxing rings and oversized yeah. rings, and I can just imagine some of the, the rings
3: you guys had over there. The one in Bremen was the worst. The one in Vienna was also in like, like concrete. Uh, the other one they had was decent. We worked Hanover and Graz, Austria, and we worked some house shows, uh, Z boat and some different places. Those were so, so, but the one in
0: Bremen was there was zero gift to it. Yeah. And that was the only one that I worked in. I, I didn't go to the uh, any of the other towns. I remember first coming to WWE and I'd come from smoky mountain wrestling and uh, with Cornette and he had a, it was a small ring. I think, man, it was only like sixteen feet. Might have been eighteen yeah. feet. It was like really small, but it was also, I mean, it, it was it was the best ring for falling down, getting knocked down. You know, uh, just amazing. Um, then you get up to WWE. It's a twenty foot ring, and of course, you've got guys like Yokozuna who had broken the ring various times. So they reinforced that thing so much that even a guy like me or John, you were 300 pounds yeah. and you'd take a bump in the middle of the ring and oh, oh gosh, it was uh, it wasn't out Mountain Wrestling. I'll tell you, put it that way. <laughs> you know, people
3: you, WWE had a bad rap for having this the circuit, the easy rings, the soft rings. They Those yeah. were those in the yeah. mid-90s were like concrete that yeah. we had. Yeah,
2: yeah,
3: we, that first step in, over
1: that. That first set of rings they had, we stored one across the street at our body shop for years. And the guys, would the trucks over there, and, and uh, guys would come to the shop. And Glenn, I remember you coming to the shop one time. And uh, but uh, guys would want to go in there and see that ring. And then and end up, you know, man, this thing looks hard. I said, you don't really know how hard it is, thing is, <laughs> yes, man. They were hard as hell. But Glenn, yeah, get get back to you coming to the shop. I remember when I first met you and you kind of filled in the timeline there, but you were down in here in Florida. I think you were working out with Malinko's at the time. Yes, sir. Yep. Was that, your, was that when you were very first beginning or have you been here a while? I, I'd
0: in, been there. Well, so I, I'd been in the business for a few years, if you can call it that. You know, I'd oh. been working very small independents. Uh, then I went down. Uh, to the Malenko School, uh, which was um, operated by the great Malenko, uh, Boris Malenko, Larry Simon, uh, one of the most kindest people that I've ever met in the wrestling business. He Actually, I, I lived with him, um, you know, for a couple of years at various points for six months at a time. Um, but anyway, then Dean Malenko was uh, one of the trainers there. And what was cool about Malenko's is, is it wasn't just the American um you know the american style of of entertainment it also uh jody malenko uh joe malenko is his wrestling name um he had trained under carl gotch he'd actually lived with gotch so uh joe would work with you on the shoot style with, which is, you know, wow. judo and submissions and all that sort of stuff. And it was, it is pretty humbling for someone like me who is well over 300 pounds uh, to get in there with Joe Malenko, who was a little more than half my size and to get thrown around like I was a practice dummy. Um, but yeah, I guess I'd been in about, uh, about two years and uh, wow. went down to Tampa um, and started training with the Malenkos and, course you had the body shop there uh, and and jerry really did have a, a big body shop uh and went by one day and uh just to say hello you're uh uh still with wwe working as um you know as a producer and also i don't at that point you weren't
1: i don't think uh, you were i was was a, pro, I state, was a promoter you? at that point i okay, was a local right. promotion and the reason why you're there, and I'll share this with John. John, you know, uh, during the course I like I said, when I, I was first started at WWE, they needed somebody to, that with well, some building connections uh to handle the South because the South was so, you know, so worn clad on the NWA and Hey I, and Jerry, i I'll
3: to cut you off, do cut you off, but this is after you stiffed Vance on the selling Georgia Championship wrestling, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, he sold you that story. He tells everybody that story. <laughs>
3: We're standing out in the middle
1: of the damn orange grove here with my son, and he puts his arm around my son. Hey, Joe, did uh, your dad ever tell me about the time I uh, tell you about the time he ripped me off when I bought Georgia, Georgia championship front <laughs> from him? Like, damn, he got to hear this story again. I got to hear it again. Hey, we used to open up production meetings with that story sometimes. But anyway, John, I was a promoter. So uh, I got this phone call one time at the body shop, and it's a guy by the name of Glenn Jacobs, and Glenn was brand new in the business. That's the reason I was asking if you had just started to come down and train with Blake. So Glenn asked me for a couple of tickets to go to the Sun Dome, uh, uh, which turned out to be the Thunderdome here recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, sure, how many you need? So I gave him a couple of tickets next day showing up at the door was this big seven foot 300 pound guy i mean i didn't know glenn jacob he come in and i'm one of the most nicest guys i've never had somebody come to my business at a pot and 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 thank me for uh for giving them tickets like glenn did he, he was bearing everything but a box of cookies and i'm disappointed enough <laughs> but he sat down and thanked me we talked a little bit and I, when he got up left at the man this guy's got the size, he's got the personality, and, and he's 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 a good man. He would he'll be a great, great guy for the WWE. So I immediately got Pat Patterson was the booker at the time. And I called Pat, told Pat about the guy and Pat, of course. Oh yeah. I know who the guy is. He didn't have a clue. I don't think, but uh, <laughs> Glenn, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget how kind you were. And, and you know, how, how you impressed me by coming in and thanking me that day for, uh, for giving you tickets to, to the wrestling matches. And I always appreciated that. I always remember that in our friendship, you know, that. Very few guys realize what, what, what I think you can, can mean sometimes. And, and to me, when you did that, I mean, I was just thrilled to death, but, and then we, I was fortunate enough to become your friend anyway. I hope to become your friend for many, many years after that and travel the world with you. So, man, and so you were just, you've been in your uh, a couple of years and we have talked to, um, uh, who was it that was talking about, uh, uh, Gods the other day, John, the last Ken Shamrock, you know, training mm-hmm. with him, too, so uh, I, uh, uh, Carl lived right down the road from me, and I met one of his neighbors, and he used to bring these Japanese kids in, one of his neighbors, I saw him at a uh, hardware store down the street, and he's, he said, do you know Carl got restaurant? I said, yes, sir, and he said, can I ask you a question? He said, "What the hell is he doing to those Japanese boys?" He said, "All time tonight, I hear screams coming from there. Sometimes I feel like I should call the cops." <laughs> I said, "Please yeah. don't call the cops. They just write it."
0: <laughs> one day, one day, we're in in, uh, in Larry's living room and Professor Boris Malenko's living room. We're all hanging out, and Carl Gotts comes over, and it was one of my classmates at the academy. There, he was from Australia, and he wanted he wanted you know, to get into the, the shoot wrestling, right? So he's like, Hey, Carl, could you show me a couple things? And uh-huh. so Gotch grabs him and he just he throws him on the floor, he grabs his leg. He's like, you know, people think you have to, and he's got this thick German accent. He's like, People think you have you have to have someone's leg straight to put a leg bar on him. That's not true. And of course, like, ah, and then he grabs him <laughs> by the neck, it's like, ah, and I'm like, I gotta go wash the car or something. I'm out
1: of here. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, right. So So Glenn, before you got into business, was you always a fan or did, did, I, I saw where you were a basketball player at uh, at, uh, uh a college in Missouri. Uh, yeah. you started out playing basketball where did you
0: have yeah have... So when when I was growing up, uh, I grew up out in the country. We didn't have cable TV. Uh, it was in northern Missouri. I would watch All Star Wrestling out of Kansas City on whatever Saturday nights I guess. Um, if seriously, if the reception was coming in the right way, okay. Um, but they had people like Bulldog Bob Brown, Ray Candy, Bruiser Bob Sweetan. Um, Harley Race would actually later go on to own the territory. Uh, it was run by Bob Geigel, um, you know. And mm-hmm. looking back, it was it was not like super high quality stuff. But when I was a little kid, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Right. But about once a month, we'd go down to my grandmother's house in St. Louis and I'd get to watch wrestling at the chase. And that was the show at the time. I mean, it was, it was, it was big time. I remember when I was like six years old, uh, I was watching a promo with Baron von Raschke and he scared me so badly with the claw, the claw that I, I had to turn off the TV set. Okay. I was like, (laughs) Um, but I was always a bit of a fan kind of migrated away from it uh as I got a little older and was playing sports myself um but then you know Hulkamania kicked in and it was the big thing so got back into watching it at that point um and I was playing football and blew out my knee and that was pretty much the end of my football career at which point you know I thought well I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life now um I'd always been involved in sports and, and, you all know this, uh, when you're a young person and sports is all you've known thinking, what am I going to do if athletics and sports aren't part of my life? That was, um, that was, that was very depressing, uh, for me. So it just like one night I was watching, uh, whatever show it was, it was Tuesday night Titans or whatever it was WWE programming. And I was like, man, you know, uh, my friend and I are like, man, I, you know, he, he literally said, you know, you should try that. And I thought, yeah, I should try that. And um, went out and found a very small local group that did a little bit of training. And you know how that stuff was. It was basically you go out in someone's backyard. And eventually uh, I went to a, the promoter uh, that I was working with at the time had a ring in the hayloft of his barn. So that's where I would go train. Uh, very rudimentary. um, And then eventually decided, yeah, you know, I I, want to do this. I think I can do this, uh, but I need some real training. And that's how I ended up in Tampa. Um, So I'd always been a bit of a fan, um, you know, and I, I uh, I was very um, attracted to not only the athletic part of it, but also the storylines, you know, and the characters and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it just felt to me like it was a natural fit, something that uh, involved athletics, but also something that I could make a living at.
3: I saw an interview you did where you talked about your mother's sign, the best sign ever. I raised Kane. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> was your uh, Was your parents, were they always supportive of you going into professional wrestling? Because some parents, you know, is, they're, yeah. they're not so sure about it.
0: Sure. And mine were actually, Um, you know, they, they loaned me the money, uh, to go down to, to Tampa, um, you know, to, to live and work there. Um, so yeah, they, they were always supportive. Um, I don't, you know, it might've been something where like, this is a phase that he's going to pass through and, you know, before (laughs) he gets serious about life. Um, but they never said that. Uh, and you know, especially as things, um, and, and you know how it is, John, I mean, um, when folks look at us now and I think they folks are like, Oh wow, you know, they've done all this cool stuff. And you know, what they're really seeing is is a, the high point of a journey that there's yeah. been a lot of low points along the way. So, you know, there are times that I didn't, you know, um, I was pretty down and, and wasn't sure if I wanted to go on, um, but they were always they were always supportive. They never said anything negative about it. They never said, hey, you're stupid or, you know, mm-hmm. you can be like one of those kids that goes out to Hollywood to be an actor. And it's never going to work out for you. Um, so and, and that was good, because if they hadn't been, I wouldn't have been able to do it.
3: Yeah. They, they, people don't remember the times when uh, I was Vampiro Americano and you were a Christmas creature.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. you're like, Dude, uh, Oh my God. And, and, and you know how it is, you know, you, you do these small independents. Um, you drive 300 miles. Um, there'd be a dozen people there. Um, I remember one time I got a pay envelope and I was really happy because I actually got a pay envelope, which didn't normally happen. They had a couple hundred people there. I'm like, man, I'm actually going to get paid. I can cover my gas for this trip uh and I opened the envelope and this is inside it were two buy one cheeseburger get one free from Burger King that <laughs> was a payoff for the night and I was happy about it <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: right that's about like one of my first payoffs. I opened the envelope and there was like $17 and 27 cents yeah. in there. <laughs> and the guy paid to the actual penny jumping Jimmy a lot at Fort Smith, Arkansas. And <laughs> I, this is one of these skating rinks where they put a panel of plywood up. And the bathrooms on this side of the plywood was a and The other side of the plywood was a public. So, you know, you're sitting in there and you have to go to the bathroom, have to move the plywood and all that. But the 27 cents, that always, always, how, how in the hell did he come up with 27 cents? you still
0: have that 27 cents,
1: Jerry? <laughs> yes, sir, I do.
0: You <laughs> believe he does. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry still has every dime. He's ever,
3: Jerry still has yeah, Confederate money. Say. That's right. I, I still That's got right.
1: those wood nickels John
3: passed off of me when he was right.
1: running for Cyber Sunday or whatever. Hey,
3: Glenn, I, I've always, I always, people got to give you a hard time about Christmas creature. How yeah. did, 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 did you
0: work for, how, how did Christmas creature actually get over? And, and I don't know. It, really? it, it, it's funny with me because it's like, I've had these characters, you know, and, and, um, and maybe it's maybe that's true with everybody, but it's always like I, I was Christmas Creature for like not even a month, you know. Um, right. and, and what, what happened was, um, I'd gotten to know Jerry Lawler a little bit. Uh, in fact, my, my very first character, uh, in Memphis at USWA, I was part of a tag team. We were like the Russian gold medalists, uh, <laughs> you know, Olympic gold medalists under mask. We had like, I think we were, had. TV, and then one match at the Mid-South Coliseum. Um, but Kevin Lawler, who is one of Jerry's sons, uh, just like Jerry, you know, he's, he's a great artist and also a comic book person. So Kevin calls me and he's like, hey, man, I got this idea. And dad likes it. Um, Jerry was always big into, like, the kind of movie monster uh, characters at, at Memphis. So they'd they have, like, Leatherface and all this stuff, all this yeah. over-the-top things that would come to Memphis. Um, but he has this the Christmas creature and sends me a, a, a picture of it. And it, it looked like the swamp thing with garland, you know, cause it was, this, it was this green suit with gold garland and it had lights that actually lit up. So when I see someone like Chris Jericho has got the light up jacket, I was way ahead of him. Okay. I had, I had Christmas lights lit up integrated into my outfit. My mom actually made that outfit for me. So wow. she sewed the whole thing, but man, I I might have wrestled, you know, a dozen times as as the Christmas creature. Um, But it's one of those deals, I guess. You know, nowadays with everything being on the internet, um, I remember one time I, I was Seamus was traveling with me, and he pulls up YouTube and starts watching Christmas creature videos, and I almost threw him out of the car because <laughs> he thought it was hilarious. I didn't think it's quite that funny, but you know, it, it opened the door for me to do more stuff in Memphis. Do you still hate Lawler over it? <laughs> I hate Lawler. Well, of course, Lawler is also the guy that brought me Isaac him So, you know, <laughs> wow.
1: what did you do to him?
0: I know, right?
3: <laughs> More importantly, what do you want to do to him? Yeah, yeah there, there, there have
0: been times, but no, actually, you know, Jerry's always been really good to me. Um, and, uh, Got me a couple breaks. I mean, you know, like with the Christmas creature deal, that that did lead you know to other runs with him uh, and doing other stuff in Memphis. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I guess I'm waiting. What's kind of cool about Isaac Gankum is uh, I don't think it's any secret that I don't have a great affinity for that character, but they made a special edition uh, action figure. Which I do collect some royalties. So I feel awesome. a lot better about it now. Oh. And I'm waiting for Christmas to come out with it. You know, Yankuma
3: was used, though. I mean, Jerry Lawler brought <laughs> in to, to do stuff with Bret Hart. I mean, he had, he had a pretty good spot. The character was, you know. A, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, the opportunity was wonderful. It was just the, uh, uh, the, I couldn't sing my teeth into the characters, you know. Just <laughs> yeah, so sorry. to say. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. You should have had a better dance. That's <laughs> right.
0: That's right. How, did you, that's how right. did you
3: end up in Europe? Well, because all of a sudden we just – auto 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 tells us, he goes, yeah. I'm bringing in this big guy. He looks like Sid Vicious. He's great. You know, that's why we are all out there w- wanting to watch you wrestling. <laughs> Otto had promised us all this stuff, and none of it came through. And then when yeah, he brought but... you in, it, it worked. He's <laughs> a wrestling
0: promoter, right? He promised you all sorts of stuff.
2: That's,
0: right. That's um, right. I was so after uh, after my time in Tampa, um, I, I would in my first actual kind of I guess success in wrestling. I would go back and forth to Japan uh, and work for Fujiwara Gumi, uh, which was um, like the old Universal Wrestling um, over in. Uh, in Japan, we go over for say, say for like a week. I trained with Mr. Fujiwara, which was an awesome experience, uh, in the dojo and, you know, have a match and we come back. Um, and that paid my bills for a while. And then I got a call from Dutch Malenko, our, our, um, our friend, John, uh, our Dutch Mantella, I'm sorry. For but everybody. Dutch, yeah, and I'd met Dutch a couple of years before at, at an independent show uh, in Indiana, and we've exchanged numbers. And Dutch had the book in Puerto Rico, and it's like, hey, you want to come down to to Puerto Rico? Um, I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, it's it's an opportunity for me to work full time. Of course, there've been a lot of a lot of bad things, you know, a lot of bad aura around Puerto Rico. Uh, but I will say this: that they actually, Carlos actually. Uh, he and I got along fine. You know, he always, always paid me. Everything was good. They took care of me. So I, I don't have any complaints about my time in Puerto Rico. Um, but uh, while I was down there, Eddie Gilbert uh, had also come down. And uh, Eddie was actually the guy that got me over with Auto. Uh, with so um, I guess, and uh, I, I think that was December of 1994 is what I, th- yeah. I think around that time, yeah. um, November, December. Uh, but yeah, that, that was because of Eddie.
3: Yeah, we were there about uh, six weeks together, and then uh, you, yeah. and I, you and I and Dutch actually ended up riding together a lot. We always we had uh, the extra wheel was either Barry Horowitz or Al Snow, so uh, yeah, all four of us in a little bitty Lumina car driving all over the country together.
0: <laughs> you remember the time? You remember? <laughs> you remember the time oh. that well, Dutch would sit in the back seat, and Dutch would just antagonize Barry Horowitz the and, whole time. The whole oh, time yeah, it was the whole time, and I remember. <laughs> Remember the one time Barry Barry was drinking, like, water all the time to flush out his system, I guess. And yeah. Dutch <laughs> kept on messing with him, sticking his finger in his ear and stuff. And Barry's like, Dutch, I'm going to throw this water on you. And <laughs> Dutch's like, no, you won't, Barry. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to throw this water on you. And Barry goes to throw the water. And Dutch is literally doing the Dutch mantel. No, no, Barry, wait, wait, wait. He just <laughs> throws the water on him. And Dutch looked like a wet cat. I look in the back he's just, <laughs> yeah. he's just sitting there with water dripping off his beard. Uh but Dutch is another guy, man. He was um he was extremely instrumental in my early career. You know, he got me, um got me to Puerto Rico, then he was the guy that called Cornet. After Germany, I ended up going to smoke him out in Wrestling, and that was because of Dutch.
1: But yeah. Dutch is so yeah. bright, bright. Uh, he has so many ideas. He can yeah. look at somebody and he can come up with 10 characters. I don't know how he does it immediately. Uh, just looking yeah. at guys. But he, he, and he, one of the most underrated uh, creative guys, I think in our business ever.
0: And in, in Puerto Rico, he understood the psychology. I mean, that's a different place uh, right. down there than, you know, than uh, say anywhere in the States. It's just yeah. a, a different territory. And then every territory has its own thing. And we think of Memphis you know, and what they did, you know, New York was different. Um, Atlanta, mid South, all of them were different. Puerto Rico was different as well. Um, but Dutch understood the psychology there. And, uh, when I, when I first went down there, business was good. And I mean, Dutch had it to where we were going around and you know, we were selling out, um, different places, which hadn't happened in years there. Uh, we had a riot one night in a uh, Trujillo Alto, uh, uh, Puerto Rico. And, um, uh, I, I, Dutch will credit me with saving his life. I don't think I saved his life, but uh, I, I was able to pull him into the locker room as 2,500 um, somewhat intoxicated Puerto Ricans <laughs> were right on his heels. Um, and that was, that was a great time um, for me. I learned a lot, but you're exactly right. I mean, Dutch is just a brilliant guy when it comes to booking and understanding, you know, storylines and angles and characters. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone better.
1: Uh, you're right. You know, you know Glenn, and a lot of people just don't realize the amount of heat that, that you can generate down in, in Puerto Rico. That, that, that was, you know, I'm fortunate enough. I've worked many, many places all over the world, but I think that was the easiest place to get heat. And even as a baby face, you know, there's some of those, guys, like I worked at Abdullah the butcher, and Abdullah was so over down there. Yeah, He would, he would start that heat and, 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 and there was no security, so to say, because the soldier, the the policemen that were paid to yep. uh, to guard us were the fans. They were the ones that ride right up against the ring most right. of the time, you know, encouraging the others. But the heat down there, and uh, you just don't realize it. But that's what you know the guys miss out on a lot of times, yeah, and building
0: that heat. Yeah, Jerry, did you ever, uh, did you ever work for Jack Finano in the Dominican Republic?
1: Yes, at one time. I, I was telling Joe about that, you know, because they just had that uh, earthquake down there and storm down,
0: down in that area there.
1: And my son was asking me if I ever worked down there. I went. I went. I, went, I went, it was actually for Carlos. But Carlos had that relationship with him. And he would send you over there for nights. He'd bring you down for three or four nights. And one of those nights was always either Dominican Republic. And we'd even go down to Tobago way down, way down southern uh, yeah. part of uh, the yeah. Caribbean. <laughs>
0: When I was very first starting out, I actually don't know how this happened, um, but I ended up doing a shot in the Dominican Republic as well. Um, and I went in, I guess I can say it now, statute limitations is over. No work visa, no nothing. You know, I didn't even know I needed one. Um, but I remember, you know, I, I saw the picture on the wall of Jack Fanano beating Ric Flair and holding the NWA title up above his head. I had no idea. You know, back then, what that was until that later was a right? riot. That was a riot. About yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. They had yeah. to they had to get Rick out with the uh, uh Dominican army.
0: Yeah, I've I've only done that when I've uh, I've had a really bad match, and you and I, our
3: you and our are one of the few that actually went south to work without a permit. You know, we talk about that's, that, yeah, that. That's true. Well, I, I got, I got. Rest- I, I,
0: got I got deported. I got kicked out of Mexico. Really? I got yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So when I was doing my other, <laughs> my other uh, non great WWE gimmick as the fake Diesel, um, Rick Bogner, uh, who was the fake Razor Ramon, and I, we were right. going down and working for uh, whichever group was it? Was it Triple A uh, that we were doing the crossover stuff with? They would send yeah. uh, the minis and me and Rick were the me and Rick were the other side of that. We were going down to Mexico. Um so wait a minute, producer. wait a minute. They sent yeah. us they sent us minis and we sent them maxis.
3: Yes, we, we sent oh, guys <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was na- that was nafta before nafta ever came a thing, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think we got a free lawnmower out of
0: the business. Yeah. <laughs> the <deal. laughs> but yeah, Rick, um, so Rick and I uh it turns out that uh long story short, we end up in like the immigration office in, in, um, uh, sorry, I forget whatever city it was in Mexico, right there on the border. Um, and, uh, being told that we actually didn't have work visas. We had the applications for the visas, <laughs> but the visa hasn't gone through yet. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I, I'm just I I had made the decision that one way or the other, I was going to get back across the border because just run across <laughs> the bridge and get the border. But there was no way I was going to go to jail in Mexico. Oh, um, yeah. And Especially luckily, we are able, yeah, able to, uh, you know, to uh, to work our way out of it. But nevertheless, yeah, I, I actually got deported from Mexico once. So you're exactly right. John.
3: <laughs> yeah, i worked down there <laughs> for years. No work. That's how the, That's how the promoters would keep you yeah. working for them. They wouldn't give you work papers, and if you went somewhere else, they would stew you. So <laughs> the, brown, the, brown shirts, the brown shirts would come in, it's all a game. They spoke yeah. English, I spoke a little Spanish, but they'd say, they'd Tell me something in Spanish. I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak any Spanish. They said, We don't speak English. They go in there to Elizondo, he'd pay them off a little bit, and that's how yeah. they. You know they'd make a yeah. little money off of
0: it. Yeah. Well, see, I, I'm work, I'm working for WWE, which is this big global company, and they sent me down with the wrong paper. So, so thanks a lot, <laughs> hey,
3: Jerry. When when Glenn came to Europe, Otto told me he says you go out with him. You know the two big, you know, tall Americans together. Right. So I'm his manager. So I don't. I don't know Glenn very well, but I'm just you know being you know I'm kind of the I'm kind of the RNA scholar manager. I got the tail of the show. I don't, do, I don't do anything. I just stand there. So. Glenn gets dropped on his head in the middle yeah. of that hard ring. And I mean, dropped on his, I and mean, I'll look at it. I thought, Oh my God, they killed him. He, he's dead. And he, 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 he gets up, he hits the ropes, does some, something else. I go, that's the toughest human being I've ever seen.
2: So I, I'm
3: standing five feet from it. And I think there's no way he's conscious. So he gets, he gets out of the ring and I'm just looking at him. Like I'm standing next to John Wayne. Then he walks right, then he walks right back into the wall. <laughs> the wrong direction. He didn't know where the locker room was. He didn't know where then he goes, huh, huh, huh. I guess I'm yeah. a little I, I said, well, then, come with me.
0: <laughs> and then, of course, we're sitting up in the locker room and Fit Finley comes up, you know, and he's like, Fitzy, you're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, man, I, I don't remember anything about the match. He's like, good thing it was terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My God, what a crew you guys had, man. Now, you, Finley, and, and Layfield, that had to be a, a fun night each night after after the matches it was there.
3: awesome.
0: Oh, I'd say yeah, totally.
1: Fed, Fed, and John has told stories about you know you're you're in one place for like four or five maybe even six yeah. weeks at a time, and uh, you know there's a lot of ways that you you can kill time there. That must have been a long duration to to be in a parking lot like that for that time.
0: Yeah, it was. You would literally live in. Um they call them caravans and, and they're RVs, but mine mine might have been 10 feet by 10 feet. <laughs> I didn't have a bathroom in mine. So uh, I would have to go into the arena uh, when it was open, you know, to, to shower, even to go to the bathroom. Uh, and then mine didn't have heat either. And this is Bremen, Germany in the wintertime. So wow. uh, freezing cold. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience.
1: Wow, is that where Jot first introduced you to Apple Snobs?
0: <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. apple, <laughs> apple corn, apple corn, apple corn. Apple corn. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We, we had nothing to do, and Anka. There was a place called Anka's right across the, the street that would let us eat and drink for free. So not free; it was like six marks or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they, they'd want to. They want to get us in there so that the fans would come in and, and see the, yeah. the boys. So that's all we had to do. So we'd go every night, get something to eat, get something to drink, and go back, and then get up the next day and do it all. It's Groundhog yeah. Day.
0: And, and, yeah, he worked, what, six days a week, I think? That's um, right, yeah. And we'd have – Sundays you'd have the, – the the show was a little different. On Sunday it would start with the Battle Royal, and, you know, everybody would come out and um, get in – there would be like a profet- processional, get in the ring and uh, circle the ring. And remember that, that I, I wasn't there, but the, the time that Otto came out and bowed or whatever and all the cigarettes fell out of his packet, they had just right. – <laughs> so, That's right. Uh, interesting yeah, interesting time. Yeah, such a great
3: angle. So when you entered the, the arena to go to the ring, you were in the bar area. So yes. the, way we, the way we set up this uh, first storyline with me and Glenn was I wrestled first, or first and then early in the night, and then I'm sitting at the bar, and I'm telling everybody about my American friend about how great he is. He's going to beat everybody, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm bragging to fans, everything. This is all part of the storyline. So then, then Glenn comes out and works and loses. And so what he does, I'm like frustrated. So I'm sitting there, everybody kind of is looking at me like you've been bragging on him for two hours. Well, his opponent comes by and I jump him and I throw him over the bar and I climb over the bar, start beating him up. Well, Glenn starts to climb over the bar with me and and he's sitting there and he can't get over the bar. And, and so I said, I said, look behind you. And it was a little bitty lady had grabbed his pants, and Glenn thought it was one of the boys. And Glenn's working with yeah. this little old lady. I'm, I'm, doing the, I'm trying to get away from her. Trying to get away from her. <laughs> this 300-pound man has got this little bitty woman holding him back.
2: Yeah.
3: Then we became the five Meter and Zwei Tag Team, which I, I thought might have been better than the Brothers of Destruction. I think wrestling history <laughs> would probably say otherwise. But yeah. uh, it's my history.
1: Yeah, yes. and you can tell it like you want to. How how was John to work with? Because he was just a rookie over at that time too, right, man?
0: Yeah, he was, but it uh, it was uh great actually. Um, and John, even though he's you know early in his career, um, coming from Texas, you know, he'd had the opportunity to work with like Von Erickson and a lot of other uh Black Bart, a lot of other top notch talent. So John was actually a lot further along in his development than I was at that point. Uh-huh. Um. You know, so it was, but it was really good. Glenn, what did you
3: think when you first got, because when I I first met Vince, I, you know, you're a bit overwhelmed by the guy and you first meet Vince, did he, is he the one that first pitched you to Isaac Yankum when you first met him?
0: Yeah. 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 So, um, so I had a tryout match where um, I'd met him. I'd met him a couple of times. I have a tryout match with Bruno Riggins uh, that Jim Ross actually set me up with uh, when I was at Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, JR was uh, Cornette's commentator, but uh, Reno, of course, is a great hand and made me look really good. So uh, within a week, uh, WWE is called. Hey, we'd like to offer you a developmental contract, and you know you need to come up at some point here in the next couple months to meet with Vince and all that stuff. So you know, uh, I, I flew up from Knoxville to Laguardia um, get picked up in a limousine, man. I've never been in a limousine in my life. Right. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm a WWE superstar. Life did not get any better than this. Get taken over to, at the time it was Titan towers, um, go up sitting in, uh, at the time it was JJ Dillon was head of talent relations. So I'm sitting with JJ and, you know, we're just kind of talking and Vince walks in and, You know, yeah, he's an intimidating dude, especially when you're, you know, you're trying to get a job with the company. Um, And so we have a little small talk, and then you know, you hear all this stuff like Vince is a master of mind games and manipulation and all this stuff. So Vince asked me, "I was like, Glenn, have you ever been afraid to go to the dentist?" And I'm thinking to myself, "I'm like, where is this going?" Okay, (laughs) so I pause for a second, and then I'm like, "No, no, sir, it doesn't bother me." And then he says. I've got this. Always had this great idea for a character, and I, I later found out it was I, I think it was Bobby Heenan who had this idea, but Vince said it was his idea. Um, <laughs> but but Vince is like a wrestling dentist, Isaac Yankum. Get it? I yank him. <laughs> 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 he doesn't. Vince laugh, and of course I'm sitting there just stone faced because I'm like, wait a second, you flew me all the way from Knoxville to tell me I'm going to be a wrestling dentist, and then. <laughs> It's like the Ron Simmons story with Farouk. I'm just going, I'm sitting there stone facing. I'm like, I think it's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, he was, he was the person that broke the news to me. And for, um, for a while afterwards, I'm like, oh, there's no way There's No way I'm going to be a wrestling dentist. Uh, and then Cornette. Uh, pulls me aside at a Smoky Mountain show. And, of course, Jim was uh, doing uh, some creative stuff with WWE. And he's like, so, uh, you know, you're going to start with at SummerSlam uh, with Bret Hart, um, and it's the Dennis. And I was like, okay, the, the part about Bret Hart was really, really cool, the SummerSlam part, <laughs> Dennis part, not so much. <laughs> Vince told me in our first
3: meeting after Jerry signed me or told me to be, be signed, I fly up there, same thing, meet with J.J. Dillon, uh, Lisa Wolf, and Vince. Yeah. And I, I'm sitting there, and, and Vince, when I first met him, he goes, got this great idea. And I thought, okay, it's awesome. He goes, a heel ballerina. <laughs> and he just looks at me, and I thought, I just turned down WCW. What, <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> and then he starts laughing. He goes, "Ah, I got you, got you, didn't I?" <laughs> yes, she did. Yes, he did.
0: He goes, yeah. oh, "I
3: think you'd be a cowboy."
1: <laughs> I think you would have done. I think you would have been a good rookie star.
3: <laughs> I think I would have too. So, what happened then? Of course, then you had you know the run with uh, the the fake diesel, and uh, you came back. You know, you got incredible shape which had a big part of what you had to do with kane because you know right. because of the work you put in i remember jr talking about it one time of course you returned the favor by setting him on fire but that well that,
1: uh, <laughs> but hes much- i had to ride with him that night guys so uh, when, he wow. set on
0: fire. <laughs> when he got set on fire when they got set on fire his barbecue sauce just come out he should have thank for it
1: And he had what that one
0: that they, the, uh the uh
1: the attitude of the trip. i tell you about it. <laughs> 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 yeah. So,
0: so after the, uh, the fake diesel deal, um, I was actually back working. Uh, I was still, I, I never, I was always in a contract with WWE, uh, from 1995 when I signed that developmental deal, you know, throughout, um, throughout the, the guys, and then the fake diesel and then finally came. So I was back working, uh, with, Lawler, and it was was under a mask because you know they didn't want anyone to know that this was <laughs> this was the, the Isaac Gang and the fake Diesel guy, um and the Kane thing came about um when Vader got arrested in Kuwait. You know that had the deal with, where um, uh, Leon had roughed up the talk show host and had literally gotten arrested in, in a Kuwaiti jail, and uh, they needed someone to work with Mark. And so the thought was, okay, you know, we'll just hotshot this deal and we need an angle, you know, we need someone, well, Glenn can do it. He's a big guy. He matches up physically um, with Taker. Uh, and what, what, what's the storyline? And and I, I don't know if it was Bruce or or Vince that initially came up with the thought of, you know, he comes back under a mask and, you know, the whole thing with the brother that had been burning the fire. Well. Vince liked it so much. He's like, why are we going to waste this on just one match when we can turn this into an actual, you know, long term angle? Thank goodness. Um, So I'm just down, I'm just down in Memphis and all this kind of stuff is happening. And then I get a call. uh, I I think it was Cornette. Might have been, might have been Bruce. I don't remember exactly who. And they run this thing by me, Um, you know, hey, you know, you're going to be working with Mark, uh, this character. Initially, the character was called Inferno. um, And, that that's that was kind of my contribution to it, uh, along with Bruce. You know, Bruce had always liked the name Kane. Um, and I thought that in, in Inferno just sounds it sounded very comic book character ish for uh, where we were going with this. Uh, so uh, we suggested the name Kane, which not only, you know, Undertaker, when he initially came in, was Kane the Undertaker. And then they dropped the Cain part and just became the Undertaker. But also with the biblical uh, story of Cain and Abel, um, we thought that that fit. Uh, but anyway, I just I got a call and hey, you know, um, we're gonna we thinking about doing this deal and bring your stuff up from when I was in actually when I was in Germany. I still had the same. I was in Germany. I was Spartacus, I guess. Uh, I don't know why I, I don't th- thought that I looked like Spartacus. So uh, mm-hmm. he called me Spartacus, but it'd been the same stuff I've been wearing ever since Puerto Rico with the hockey mask. Uh, it was black and red and like a gauntlet and, and a chess piece. Um, so I went up and I think it was like Binghamton, New York or someplace uh, and dressed in that after whatever show it was, I think it was one of the syndicated shows Went in and, and talked to Vince, and uh, he, he thought it was great, thought it was a great look, and we're going to go with this. And then, of course, a couple of months later, I get uh, renderings of an outfit that looked nothing like what I was wearing at the time. Um, but anyway, that that's just kind of how it started was I you know, just got a phone call and, hey, call the office. We need to talk to you about something.
3: And then, did you know the date that you were going to debut? At that point, did they already say that hey, this is the the pay per view that you're going to debut? And they no, big um, of the
0: match that you're we debuting in. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think any of that was really thought of that far ahead. Um, you know, they started planting seeds by having Paul Bearer talk about Kane, uh, and I, I do know um, at least Cornet's told me this, and, and Bruce probably tell you the same thing. You know that the Hell in the Cell structure was built for that debut you know that that's really where it came from they wanted a steel cage that no one because take uh, taker with with sean and you know no outside interference they wanted this structure that looked impenetrable that no one could get in um, and and that was the idea um, but initially no i didn't know quite when any of that was going to happen it's like, it's like a lot of stuff wwe does it's a great hmm. concept and then it got fleshed out and filled in as the storyline proceeded and he's thank goodness that.
1: for Vader. Thanks goodness for Vader roughing up that uh, that talk show host down in Kuwait. That was quite we, a night, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, Leon had to spend like a week in a Kuwaiti jail, but I became king, right. so that's pretty cool. One of the funniest stories ever. You had to you had to
3: work with Vader, and they came up with a storyline where afterwards Vader is going to lose, and he's going to blame it on. Oh, look, look at me! I'm a fat piece of that. yeah. Yeah. And that's what he had to say on air. And Vader yeah. all, all day did not want to say it. I mean, he thought about quitting. He didn't want to do it. So you were Kane. You got to work with Undertaker. You can't sell. Vader's mad. He's not going to oh. sell. And you guys just went out there and hit each other. We beat that. Hell out of each other. <laughs> 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 we're sitting there oh, yeah. at the monitor watching going, this is a car wreck. <laughs> is, oh yeah, These guys yeah.
0: are killing each other. Oh, man. Yeah, because neither one of us was- – Yeah, I'm getting ready to work with Undertaker, so I, you know, I I get punched right in the face and couldn't sell it, you know, and meanwhile, Leon, you know, Leon was, you know, Leon was a big, tough guy, man, great athlete, you know, I'd hit him as hard as I could, and he he wouldn't bat an eye, and I remember after the match, you know, I roll out of the ring, and Paul, Paul Bear's looking at me, his eyes, like this bigger big radius, he's like, was that a shoot? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think so. I <laughs> <Yeah>. think so. <laughs> oh. hey, and the worst part
3: of it was I was in the back when Vader came back. He's butt and He's about to go to the shower, and he walks up and hugs you. Yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're saying, oh, Glenn, and he grabs you. Yeah. And, ah! that, that, that was great, brother.
0: <laughs> yeah. He thought it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and Paul had to put on the Vader mask and ridicule him by doing the Vader thing and all that stuff. And, you know, and then, of course, now at the time, you know, I'm 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 just ready to go. I mean, I can take on the world, you know, but I was in the back of my mind thinking, you know, man, Leon's a big, strong guy. Oh, and yeah, they're just messing yeah. with him as much as they can, and I got to go ahead and get in a ring with him. <laughs> <laughs> he was a former
3: first round in the yeah. NFL draft pick. I mean, he was a uh, he was yeah. a big tough guy. He
1: yeah, started in, in, in the uh, NFC Championship game yeah. down here at Tampa Stadium for the Los Angeles Rams, and I think he was uh, played in the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, they won so the that, Super Bowl.
0: That was one of those things that everybody's kind of laughing. Oh, you know, we're kind of living, ribbon Leon, and I'm going. <laughs> yeah, if this thing goes wrong, the ribs going to be on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun the to great, watch. It was the
1: great uh, thing I'm about mad. Leon. He, Leon could could instantly get those great big crocodile tears. I mean, in a second, he, you know, he gets upset about something, yeah, and he he did start crying. Or and you'd it, feel so bad, and all of a sudden you look. Here's a four hundred pound cry baby cry. what the hell am I supposed to tell him? <laughs>
0: Glenn, did you, right, that, did you realize All right, did you I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I just remember one time. I um, Leon and I worked quite a bit, um, you know, and and did a couple pay per views together. And uh, again, I mean, I can't say enough about the guy. Um, his as far as agility, he's probably the greatest big man. Ever, yep. you know, he could do moonsaults; he could do it all. But he calls me one time at home, and uh he's like, "Glenn, have you heard about the finish for this match the pay per view?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "Well, what they want me to do? <laughs> they want me to they want me to get you down, and then go up to the top rope. I'm going to like I'm going to do the moonsault, and then they want you to sit up behind me and do the pyro things. So the pyro goes off my face and knocks you off the top rope." Huh. And he says, "He goes." Glenn, if they want to kill me off, they can just stop booking me. They don't actually have to <laughs> kill me. <laughs> I,
1: those are those that you, that you that don't know. Don't those pyro okay. shoot. Those that don't know those pyro cannons yeah. that they had in the turnbuckles. They were actually the cannons. The missiles would come out of those yeah. things to spray. I mean, if one of those things hit you, you you're toast. Oh you, yeah, it was like J.R. laying on the floor and and, and, yeah. and uh, Columbus, Ohio getting
0: yeah. burnt but up I, by you. I, I think someone had ribbed Leon and actually taken it personally, and I had to talk <laughs> him down. I was like, Leon, I don't think we're going to do that. It's going to be okay, buddy. <laughs> Well, you
3: remember Taker got uh, they had the wrong yeah. pyro on the on the pole one time, burned all the facial hair off of him, and
0: that tough bastard didn't even blink. I mean, that yeah. was that was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, unfortunately, you know, Mark's had a couple times where the the pyro. I've I've only ever had one time, uh and it was rehearsal where we had an issue with the pyro. Um, But you know, Mark's actually got it a couple times. He had that one uh where um, instead of having the pyro on three of the ring posts and he would walk up where there wasn't pyro and raise his arms, boom, and it would go off. Uh, they loaded the fourth ring post too. And he was standing right next to it. Like I said, it, wow. it burned all, it burnt all his facial hair off. That was actually, and I remember him walking backstage. That was, that was pretty neat. Um, just to be sitting there <laughs> thinking, what's about to happen to someone. Um, and then of course in St. Louis, I think it was like at, um, uh an elimination chamber and he got burnt there again. And same deal though. He walked down to the ring and he's like pouring water on himself, you know, to <laughs> literally put the fire out and then goes out and has a 30-minute match. Yeah. With yeah. being burnt at, on the stage. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, but that, that's not as great when the pyro went out and they killed Vader, and Vader had to pump his own <laughs> stomach.
3: <laughs>
0: I was in Austin, Texas. I was there. <laughs> that was my fault too. That was my pyro that did that actually. Yeah. <laughs> you, you killed it. I was
3: with Vader one time in Florida and uh, he was riding, we're riding together. You know, he always liked me. He always liked the old football players, you know. So he'd sit there and talk to me. And after a few drinks, he'd get all lovey dovey, you know, or just all the he goes, I I I gotta work with Undertaker at Royal Rumble. And he goes, I, I think I'm gonna have to put him over. And I said, You think? <laughs> so he said, I've got an idea. He says, do you think if I did a moonsault and Taker caught me and could tombstone me, he said, could he do that? I said, of course he could. I said, listen, (laughs) just call it on the fly. Just call it. (laughs) So, Leon can't – he can't stand it. He's got got this big move that he can't tell. So, finally, he's sitting by Taker. We're somewhere down there in Florida getting ready for a rumble, and he's sitting by Taker, and he tells him the spot. He's going to do a moonsault. Taker's going to catch him. And, and spike him. It would have impaled both of them. It would killed yeah. both of them. Leon cool. weighed 375 pounds. Right. So yeah. Taker, Taker is sitting there just looking straight ahead as Leon's talking to him from the side. Taker pats him on the leg, gets up, and walks out of the dressing room. Doesn't say a word. <laughs> Leon looks at me. He goes, what does that mean? I go, he loved it. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Taker pulled me aside later. He goes. Have you been riding with Leon? <laughs> <laughs> Leland, did you have any idea that Kane would become this huge sex symbol? Because <laughs> you had you had, had Tori, you had you married Lita, and you had yep. AJ Lee who fell in love with you too. I mean, every diva basically fell in love with with Kane. Did you have any uh, idea? I mean, I mean,
0: yeah, I, I I never anticipated that. I mean, I guess uh <laughs> Chicks dig the mask, I guess. I don't know. But, <laughs> How'd yeah. you
1: mess out on May young? My question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: got I don't know, ginger. man. I'm actually surprised that I did <laughs> as long as I was there. And, and, you know, um, well, and, and you know, the thing, ha- I think half the time when Vince is booking stuff, it's literally, Hey, how can I rib Taker? How can I rib Glenn? You know? So, Perfect. um, Bro. yeah, there'd be, there be stuff. I'm like, there's no way that's ever going to happen. And sure enough, it would happen. So be yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You had Tori uh, married Lita? That didn't end very well. Actually, none of those <laughs> ended very
2: well. <laughs> you
0: know. Um, and then broke up, broke up the uh, the marriage between Edge and Lita. and uh, Got the to Tombstone a priest, which was awesome. Uh, <laughs> yes. So um, I don't know,
1: <laughs> but you didn't get to crucify
3: somebody like Don did. That's right. We crucified million. Uh, yeah, we sacrificed a few people.
0: Yep. Yeah. We got Stephanie the one time too, right? Before, yeah, that's, right.
3: that's right. That's right. But you set a few people on fire too. Now,
0: well, yeah. Um. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Can you, you imagine You've got to be a mayor of got Somebody people have got to bring that stuff up and just like, uh, you sure you want to? Oh yeah. To Some, someone
0: did a someone did a parody commercial. It was awesome. It's got you know. It's got. Kane, like stubbing Zach Ryder off the stage in a wheelchair and setting people on fire and doing all this oh, stuff. You're tombstone, Linda. I, a tombstone, Linda McMahon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but uh, you know, well, but she she was trying to become a U.S. senator too, she kind of deserved that, I guess. But <laughs> uh, but imagine, imagine seriously, you know, think about having a job um, where yeah, you get to set people on fire, you get to crucify people, you get to get married and divorced and all this stuff, and you know, then you sit around and laugh about it ten or fifteen years later. It's like but you never had you, never had you never had to
1: dress it. But you never had to dress in drag, Leon. I well, or Leon, you know, no yeah, Glenn, I got you there. Leon. <laughs> <laughs> Leon. Uh Glenn. Yeah, yeah. You never had to dress in drag.
0: No, there, uh, Jerry. But I did have to wear tights for most of my <laughs> career, and 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 uh, you know, this one time. Now we had a show in Anaheim and I was flying to Los Angeles the next day. And this was when everything was super hot, when Austin was there, when rock was there. So, you know, it sold out at the Anaheim pond, 20,000 people, whatever it was. And I wanted to get back to the hotel so I could get a few hours of sleep before I caught my flight the next day. So I get done with my match and instead of showering, and this was back, man, like it was when I had the full mask on, I weighed 320 pounds. Um, and I would wear makeup like black paint around my eyes so that my face would blend in with the mask. So what would happen in the in the match, too, is the sweat would run down and the makeup would end up running out my face. And I look a lot like Alice Cooper, right? Like I had mascara <laughs> and run down my face, had the long hair halfway down my back. So as soon as the match is over, I get back to the locker room throw my stuff, my wrestling gear into my bag and put on my workout stuff, which was a tank top and shorts. And I drive to the hotel. All right. So I get to the hotel at the LAX airport. I walk into the front desk. I'm a 320 pound man <laughs> with long hair, mascara wearing and still sweating, actually wearing shorts and a tank top. Okay. <laughs> so that was enough of an engine itself. Get my room key, go out to my room, open the door, and you know how the the hotel door room doors would slam back in your face, you know, if you didn't. So I I, I open the door, throw my bags in, and I take a step in. There was an elderly Japanese couple in the room. They've given me yeah. the key to the wrong room. <laughs> so imagine again, a three hundred and twenty pound man wow. with long hair, wearing a tank top and shorts and mascara, has just entered your hotel room. Okay. <laughs> So, of course, I apologize profusely. They're screaming at me in Japan, uh, in Japanese. They're up on the bed, hugging each other. <laughs> By the time I get down to the front desk, the manager is on the phone with someone. He you says, know, please don't call the police. We, you know, we get free breakfast in the morning. <laughs> free breakfast. <laughs> free breakfast, yeah. You know, uh, so you just had, he said, like the Viking invader come into your room, uh, but everything will be fine with free breakfast. Free breakfast
3: and lifetime counseling exactly <laughs> you know one time glenn we were riding together and uh you had a you know a towel over your head you had a mask yes. on. There was oh no, yeah there was only one person in the very back of a parking lot and glenn's loading his bag in and the guy goes hey glenn can i get an autograph yeah <laughs> glenn gets in the car and he's so bad jerry he goes the only one i'm working is me
0: <laughs> I, went, I went through such pains to hide my identity from the yeah. public. And you're, yeah, you're exactly right. And that guy's out there. Hey Glenn, can I get an autograph? I'm like, come on, dude, can you at least be part of the show while I'm out here?
3: <laughs>
0: hey, how about
3: Paul Bearer who was the absolute best in the world where he'd pull up into the arena and you'd be driving and he'd roll down the window to all the fans in line and go, Kane can drive. Kane can drive. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was in San Diego. Uh, Paul tells me he's, he's, sick and could I drive into the arena and we rented like a Cadillac, a red Cadillac. Right. So, you know, that's really inconspicuous. And I've got my ski mask on, and I'm driving and Paul Bear is over there punched up against the window like he's sick. And you remember, Jerry, in the sports arena there in uh, San Diego, you'd pull down and then that all ramp. the people. And again, I mean, this is the business is super hot. I mean, we got 10,000 people probably surrounding the ramp when you drive down. So I'm driving in. I'm trying to hunker down as much as I can, uh, It driving a red Cadillac wearing ski masks. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Paul Bear, who had been deathly ill 30 seconds ago, raises up and starts, he starts evangelizing to the crowd. He's like, it's a miracle. Kane can drive. Kane can drive.
1: (laughs) Oh,
2: man.
0: And of course, Austin comes up to me. He's like, I heard he could drive, kid. I'm like, yeah,
3: thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Bear was was, the best. He could be the grumpiest human being on the planet and, and can get mad for dates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Another, another time, um, out in LA, uh, Paul always wanted to eat this Mexican restaurant down in uh, Anaheim. And Paul was such a creature of habit, man. I mean, it, it literally had to be, you know, the, the day would be mapped out. We're leaving at this time. We have to be here at this time and, and the whole deal. So I land in LA, we meet up. I'm like, Hey man, I'm going to borrow the car. I'm going to go to the Gold's gym at Venice beach. Like I always do work out. Then I'll come back, pick you up, and we'll go to the restaurant, right? So I go work out, I leave. Traffic's terrible. I get back to the hotel, and it's like ten minutes away from Showtime. By the time we get back to the hotel, so we didn't get to go to the Mexican restaurant. He didn't talk to me for three days. Okay. <laughs> um, the only reason that we started talking again was because a few days later we had a show in uh, in Salt Lake City, and we went to a nice. Steakhouse afterwards with the the Godwins, and I picked up the tab. Of course, then Paul was my best friend again. <laughs> yeah, dude, he didn't talk to me for three days because he couldn't get his chicken tortilla soup. <laughs> <laughs> I remember
3: me and Mary and Barry Windham were trying to hit you in the car, and yeah. Paul, and Paul Barrett made Glenn pull over, and he
0: said, "I'll walk to the arena." It was like six yeah. miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John and Barry, that was we'd be driving down the road. <laughs> And I was sitting in the rear mirror and like a Ford Taurus would be inching up on you and, and pop you in the back. Uh, and yeah, Paul didn't, yeah, he 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 didn't like that very much. Paul didn't, Paul didn't find that
3: funny. So we were always trying to get Paul and, and he would, he hated us.
0: <laughs> and poor Paul also probably held the record for breaking the most chairs in the locker room. Uh, you know, yes. He, yes. He, he'd sit there and, you know, uh, end up, Collapse in a steel chair and then of course everybody laugh at him and take her and make fun of him. And uh ah, poor Paul. (laughs) But but uh he deserved every bit of the abuse that he took too. Yes, he did.
1: Because he he could give it back. Oh, Oh, did he
3: ever? Did he ever? (laughs) He was such a fun, good guy. Yes, yeah.
1: Uh, there was uh, this trip over we made over in Germany with like 30 days. And, uh, we worked like 27 times out we're, we're out there, you know, it, Paul had his, had his, uh, had his habits, like you said. And uh, one of the production guys that brought some, uh, some of that hard hash block to him and we're standing at a transfer car. We're going from one airplane to another airplane. We get all sacked up in this little, little trolley, taking us over to the next airplane. And we look out the window. Here comes this German policeman with a German shepherd dog. Of course, everybody there in there thinks it's uh, you know it's a drug dog, a drug stiffer dog. And I guess Paul was the only one. Paul reaches in the pocket, he takes out that block of hash, and he throws it in his mouth, and he swallows the damn thing. And I'm watching. Oh my God! This is gonna be something. About 15 minutes later, I mean, Paul was the funniest human being on the face (laughs) up there. And he's bad at himself because he had to eat the whole block of hash.
3: (laughs) You know, one thing, Glenn, that people don't understand, and I saw some interviews that you did about how wrestlers have to do stuff live and do one thing after another. You know, it's it's a sequence. So a lot of times the stunts that we did were at the end of a half an hour of a match and you proceeded that with a promo or something, you know, and all that is you, you yeah. got to do that pretty much, pretty much on the fly, even though you've got an idea of kind of what you want to do. The, the Inferno match that you did, where you end up having to catch your arm on fire. You do that after half an hour. And then <laughs> plus that match was hot as hell. I remember when I had this thing, I couldn't believe how hot it was to do it. That had to give you a little trepidation to the the
0: entire scene. Yeah. The entire scene did. Uh, It started actually the night before Uh, we had the, uh, the pay-per-view was in Greensboro, North Carolina, but I think that we had a house show in Fayetteville and uh, Paul and I were supposed to, I was, I was going to wrestle Leon, uh, Vader at the the show in Fayetteville, and then we were we were supposed they're going to have a limo pick Paul and I up, take us to the show in Fayetteville. We were on first, do a short match, come back to Greensboro, and we were going to rehearse at least parts of the um, you know the Inferno match, or at least sit, saw how the whole thing works. WWE had never done that before, so it's always great when you're first one. It's a it's like a gigantic barbecue pit, and knock yourself out, kid, on live TV.
3: As, so, Ellis, as Ellis would say, I, yeah, I think you'll. I think you'll probably be okay. You'll be okay.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so Paul and I get in the car, and we've been at that time. We we're of course uh, traveling all the time. So this was. We'd been someplace else like the night before. Uh, so we get in the car, and we both fell asleep, and and it was awesome. The the limo that's that picked us up. It reminded me of the um of the the Cadillac that. Gold dust drove in the backyard brawl or the back lot brawl, right? It was like this wow. gold Cadillac, all yeah. beat up, limo. The windows didn't roll down. So we stopped to get something to eat. Of course, we have to open the door to make the order at the drive through. So anyway, we, we, we start taking off. Now, this is before GPS, and this was before the ubiquitous ubiquitousness of cell phones. Uh, Paul and I both fall asleep. So we wake up and we're pulling into. They bought the arena in Fayetteville, North Carolina. It turns out it was a National Guard armory. And <laughs> but uh oh, we had gone two hours the wrong way. So Paul wow. calls the office and is like, uh, we're out here wherever it was. It's four hours to the show in Fayetteville. And it's already like it's already like six o'clock, right? So, well, can we just go back to Greensboro? No, we really need, really need Kane there because some of the other advertised uh, talent is not gonna be able to make the show. So, uh, if y'all just go, go to Fayetteville, we'll get you out there real quick. He can change in the car, run out. You and Leon can start fighting in the locker room, go out to the ring, roll through the ring, fight back. Glenn gets back in the car. So we take off again. We drive to Fayetteville. By the time we get to Fayetteville, it's like 10 30. They're literally holding the crowd. I change in the car run in the locker room, me and Leon fight. Of course, he punches me hard right in the face first thing. We get out <laughs> get out to the ring, literally get into the ring, roll, bing, 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 roll around the ring for a second, come back, Leon goes to the locker room, thanks, man, see you tomorrow. I get in the car, we go back to Greensboro, get to the Coliseum in Greensboro, and they tell us, uh, yeah, no one's showing up because they decided to cancel. By this time, it's 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. You know, they decided to cancel rehearsal, so we come back tomorrow. So I'm like, well, that's great. Uh, uh-huh. you know, we're going to rehearse this thing, and now we're not going to rehearse the thing. We'll just fire this deal up live, okay? Sounds like a wonderful plan. So get to the that arena next like day. You're,
3: you're getting set on fire. Yeah,
0: I'm getting set on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: We well, don't need to rehearse
0: <laughs> So they brought some stunt people in from Hollywood to do the burn. And I had like this faux, um, faux sleeve. I was wearing two sleeves at the time. No, I'm sorry. That was when I had the one sleeve outfit, but the, the sleeve was like uh, now they have the, the technology of pyro is, is uh, they can actually do like on skin burns because they have the, a cooling gel that you wear and the accelerant and their one solution. Well, back then it was, it was different. They had a cooling gel and. They built me the sleeve, and it had the Nomax or whatever it is that the race car drivers wear, and cooling gel. And on the outside, they're going to slather this pyro gel that burn. It, it burns, but not really super hot. But it was still, you know, 250 degrees or 300 degrees, whatever it is. So, a few hours before the show starts, I get to meet with the stunt people from Hollywood, and this is where I. This is where it was really comforting. Because they're like, okay, um, so you guys are going to do this live, right? I'm like, yeah. And they go, yeah, normally it takes us a week to prepare for a bird. I'm like, yes, this sounds (laughs) awesome. So so we go out behind the arena and uh, they put some fabric on my arm and the cooling gel, the fabric, and then the accelerant and light my arm on fire. So I'm looking at my arm on fire and I go to move. No, 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 don't do Don't, don't move that way. You have to keep the arm, your arm behind you and keep your, keep the flame behind you. Because if you go this way, you'll inhale the flames, which will go into your lungs, which will probably kill you. So, okay, cool. That's good. Um, (laughs) And as soon, as soon as you feel any tingling whatsoever, you hit the ground because that means that the cooling gel has evaporated and you have about a second before you start getting third degree burns. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, nice to know. So then we go out, we do the match. Like you said, John, it was, it was a 30 minute match. Um, The, the, the problem with the Inferno match is a great concept. And uh, I thought that was actually technically one of the better matches that Mark and I had, but it was hard. The, at at the time, you know, you beat your opponent by setting him on fire, but the dadgum flames are so hot you couldn't get within five feet of them. You know and mark and i of course we're all we both have long hair and all that stuff so uh they sprayed us down with all these chemicals to keep us from burning but nevertheless yeah. in the back of my mind i'm like if we get too close to this thing we're both going to go up um and then go through the match um it's half an hour match or whatever it was and at this point we do the stunt uh, and that was great because my one arm was the arm that's supposed to be set on fire and I get hit. Something happens anyway. Um, I'm pantomiming with this arm, which is not the arm that's supposed to get on fire. This actually went up against the, the uh, grating where the flame was. So that burned me badly. So I'm doing the ow while this arm's getting hit on the other side to get, to get set on fire. Um, and then I have to pantomime, of course, that my arm is set on fire while also remembering not to in- inhale the flames, which will kill me. And... As soon as I start feeling any sort of tingling with 20,000 people screaming, I'm supposed to hit the ground and trust that um, they're going to hit me with the fire extinguishers before my arm burns up. So it was uh, it was really not a lot of pressure at all. So your one arm is on fire,
3: <coughs> but you're having to sell the other arm that is the working this arm. Is
0: no, I can't sell this arm, but this is the arm that actually hurts, but this is the arm that's on fire. Yes, <laughs> and I don't know what could go wrong. You got twenty thousand people
3: who aren't in on it that yeah. are right. all exactly. around you in the crowd.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and they're all screaming and yelling. And my only thought is, is that a, is that a tingle, or can I hold on for another
1: second? <laughs> <heart is> <laughs> yeah, your mind will race. One that feel I feel there.
3: It had to be hot yeah. in the ring. I mean, we. I remember when you guys were setting up. I was there that day. It was it was hot. Just to yeah. be around it, but being in the rear yeah. it had to it had to be scorching in there,
0: yeah, yeah it was and of course every time you take a bump or have a big move, they'd shoot the flames up um <laughs> so yeah it was it was hot and and seriously you, you you couldn't get within about three feet of the flames before it became yeah. very uncomfortably. Glenn Glenn
1: Glenn, I don't know if you remember this, but I was I was at I was doing I was the flame man. I had to set a ringside there and I was on headset with yeah. Vince. I was on headset with Vince. So of course Vince, you know, he gets in those playful moods and you know you gotta go along with him. So you know you guys he gets in a playful
0: cold. mood and I'm standing in the barbecue pit. Yeah, yeah, you guys will get
1: barbecued <laughs> And so you guys will get closer and hit him. Well, I was I was instructed just on the bumps when I would yeah. I what I hit the hit the flames I'd shoot up. And like you said, it was so hot sitting there, but you guys would just get close to it and Vince would want me to hit the damn flame. So no, man, don't I, blame I, that on me. <laughs> it was all Mr. <laughs> McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> no, and then and,
0: and you know, seriously, they would when they would hit the uh, the gas and shoot those flames up, I mean, it it was like opening a stove. And it was right, boom, it was hot. Oh.
1: Wow! <laughs>
0: how, how many? But how many guys? It,
1: how many guys did you set on fire in your
0: career? Do you remember? I don't remember. I've lost count. I oh, lost count. I mean, that, safe... I mean I got—I lost all my. I finally won an inferno match against MVP. I lost them all before that. I got—I yeah. got my arm set on fire, my foot set on fire, my my arm set on fire again. Um, oh, I remember that you'll love this story, John, talking about Ellis. Ellis uh, was our stunt coordinator uh, and safety guy for, for many years. Um, when I was working with Shane McMahon, we were in Tucson, Arizona, I believe it was Tucson. And we did the deal where, uh, that was where we had a, a flaming dumpster outside the building. And I was going to try to throw Shane into it. And of course she ended up getting out of it and knocks me into the dumpster. So, <laughs> so they had all the, the dumpster is filled with cardboard and they had like piano wire run around the very outside of the perimeter of the inside of the dumpster. And that had rags on it with, um, it was supposed to be pyro gel was what I was told. And Vince was the one was the person producing and directing this. So he's like, okay, I'm, I have a lighter. I throw it into the dumpster and Vince tells me now it's pyro gel. So stay here for a second, because that takes that takes, it'll be five seconds before it ignites. Okay. It wasn't pyro gel. It was gasoline. So I, threw, I threw lighter in, it's right in my face. Right. Boom. <laughs> Do the deal with Shane, Shane knocks and they, they, they put that out. So now around the outside, instead of having like the, you know, all, all the big flames in the middle, they put all that out and reset it around the outside. They just had the rags with the pyrogel. So it looked like it was burning, but it was only the outside. I get knocked into the dumpster, okay? So that's the end of the show. Well, then Vince decides it would be really cool if like Glenn does like the, um, the Jason Voorhees where I, I bring my, after this flaming dumpster, stripe, my hand comes out, right? Like Kane's still around. So, um. We still still had the uh, the flaming towels on the perimeter of the dumpster. And I'm sitting there and Ellis, is like, wait a second, you gotta have soot on your hand. I gotta make it look like you're burnt. So Ellis starts rubbing this stuff on my hand. <laughs> I'm about to reach up through the dumps through through the through the boxes. And Ellis goes, now be careful, that's flammable. And I'm like, there's open flames right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it was wild you know you know the amazing thing about that you know we we do all that stuff in the course of of a few hours where it takes yeah. hollywood weeks to do a stunt like that you would be out in hollywood for two weeks trying to do oh, it yeah. one stunt that we you know that that we got live tv so uh and we got to do it perfect you know without hit get guys burned up or injured or anything it, it's amazing the uh the 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 product that they they're able to put out in a couple hours you know compared to what Hollywood
0: does it really is. is and I always say uh the versatility uh and the talent of WWE performers is just unbelievable for that reason you know we have to do all these different things we have to shift gears promo match promo stunt whatever and a lot of times it's one take and you're done. So you have to hit it that first time. Uh And I don't think there's any other people in the world that can no. do all that stuff. Like we do it or like we used to do it anyway. No.
3: Yeah. And especially you're doing it after, like you say, a promo, a 30 minute match sometimes, then you do the big stunt because the big stunt was always at the end of the match. Yeah. So you had to be in the right position. You had to be in the right spot because there's, there's a lot of times the downside risk to what we were doing was quite large. Yeah. <laughs> like third degree birds.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <everybody> on fire? <laughs> yeah. But you talk about versatility, Glenn. You go from being the evil monster who set everybody on fire, which setting JR on fire was very popular, at least among the boys. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding we we love we love ribbing JR. But yeah. uh then you go to the Hail no character yeah. with Daniel Bryan. That has to be the biggest divergence of characters from one to the other. You had to love that doing the comedy stuff.
0: Well, I, I really did, um, because for so much of my career, I was a very dark character, um, and you did the same thing, John. You you started out as the cowboy, and you know, then went to the the Wall Street tycoon. Um, and it's just fun to be able to show folks the the different sides as a performer, um, the
1: range that you guys have is phenomenal.
0: And I, I actually, there, there were times, um, that I, I got pretty burnt out because it just got boring, you know? It's like, look, I I can do the mean, dark, sadistic character, you know, um, that's not a challenge anymore. Um, and I always, I would always laugh when I'd hear about actors and stuff that get burnt out. And I was like, Oh, this is actually a thing just as a performer, you know, you want to challenge yourself and do some different things. Um, I think that if people I, in 1999, if you'd have told them, hey, Kane's going to be the comic relief on the show, of course, they would have laughed at you. Um, but it, it was really satisfying to me to be able to do that. And, of course, a large part because Daniel O'Brien's a, a great performer and um, we just clicked. You know, it was just one of those things that we just were able to hit it off. and um, The thing was, I didn't actually change that much. I was the straight guy, you know, and he was he was kind of the comedy guy playing off of me. Um, But what really made it work was that history of being the dark, demonic character and just being put in situations that were funny situations, even though the character, you know, changed somewhat, but wasn't like I was you know doing slapstick comedy or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really satisfying to me and kept me going actually for a while. Um, because like I said, it, there came a point where I was like, look, I, I can do dark. I can do, I can do sadistic. I can do all those things. Um, I would like to do something else that uh, is fun. And it was great being able to do that.
3: Yeah, and any long-standing character has to go through some type of yeah. metamorphosis. You can't be the same character for 20 straight years. It just doesn't work. You know, you have to go. You know, the Undertaker went through the American badass right. portion and then came back to the dark the dead man. You know, it, it's you have to have that ability to, to migrate from one character to, to something that is somewhat
0: different, or else there's no longevity. Yeah, I mean, you can only do uh something for so long before it does become boring for you and the audience. You know, I mean, right, it's really great to see Kane do that stuff. But you know, what's really cool then, when you go back to it later because of the nostalgia and the history, and same way with Taker and uh, other folks that have been around for a while, uh, I think then our audience appreciates it even more than they otherwise would have. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Glenn, I saw something, uh, I saw uh, something you had on YouTube. It was talking about Austrian. E- economics, yeah, about being a Rothbardian and Austrian economics. But and I was looking at one of the interviews you had done when some uh, reporter had asked you, "What do you do to your spare time?" And you said, "I read." And you go, "Well, it's not really for fun; it's more for knowledge." And it was really, <laughs> interesting. It was really interesting the way you said it because you're obviously we're preparing yourself for something. Were you preparing yourself during that time where you were reading up on, on economics? Cause so that's not a normal progression from a, for a professional wrestler. Believe me, I, I know about not being a normal <laughs> progression yeah. Did that you were getting ready to do something like be mayor or run for office, or was it just for your own edification that you wanted to
0: learn more about economics? Yeah, it was just my own improvement. Um, it, it wasn't like I had some grand plan for my life. Uh, I've, I'm not one of those people that does that i really respect folks that have a plan and, you know this is going to happen now and then it's going to happen this can happen uh for me it, it's been the mike tyson school of everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face that's how my life <laughs> has been you know um, i wanted to play football and blew out my knee and that's how i got into wrestling and just as my wrestling career was coming to an end um you know wanted Wanted to be able to do something else, um, so that kind of led me in into politics, uh, into government. Um, but yeah, what like the, the the read? I just found you know I find history. Um, my degrees in English, um, so I, I find history and and those sort of things uh, fascinating. Um, anyway, uh, and of course, when you're out on the road, you had a lot of time, so I just figured that I'd um, improve myself in in those ways.
3: And the Go ahead,
0: go
1: ahead, Jerry. Glenn, when when you decided to, to make the change in the politics, did somebody come to you and say, hey, Glenn, you'd make a great mayor"? Or <laughs> how, how how did the, how did that process come about? Better no, it was us,
3: people... Jerry, we all we all told him that. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, please, Glenn. You're the smartest actually, guy. Most people,
0: most people out there told me I was crazy. There, there was no way that no way that I could win the race. It was funny. Um, I thought I would. I had no doubt. That I was gonna win. And then later, after I won, I found out that I was like the only person in Knox County that actually thought I could win. Cause everybody else was like, there's no way he's just arrested. <laughs> um, no, no one came to me. In fact, it was one of those things where I literally uh, woke up one day and it just had this idea uh, that, hey, you know, that's something that I could do. Um, we have term limits here in Knox County. Uh, so, Congressman Birchett, who was mayor Burchett at the time, he was term limited. So it'd be an open seat. And again, you know, I was coming to you know, the end of my wrestling career, figuring out as far as the ring stuff. So trying to figure out what my next step was in life. And, um, thought that that was something that I could do something I would like to do. Um, Vince was very supportive. It was funny when I I went up and talked to him about it and to get his blessing and make sure he was cool with it. And I mean, he was all on board from the start Uh, and John's right though, you know, everybody in WWE um, was just, really super supportive. And that's another thing. I mean, that guys come in and, and help me uh, do events and fundraisers and, and things like that. Uh, we were able to run a completely different, very unique campaign because of that. Uh, but again, just like when my family supported me um, early in my wrestling career, it was the same with this transition. I, I don't know that I would have been successful if I hadn't had all the support from my WWE and our wrestling family that I got.
3: You know we even uh Jerry to give you an invitation about how much we support him, me and Michael Cole both said that we would come into Knox County and endorse Glenn's opponent. Yeah. We realized that <laughs> endorse Glenn's opponent.
0: True. He's gonna yeah. win yeah. easy. Yeah, John asked us, like, what can we do? I was like, endorse my opponent, please. <laughs> yeah. right. So me and Cole agreed, we will come to Knox
3: County. And we will endorse your opponent. Yes, <laughs> and that pretty much yeah. guarantees.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, everybody. Seriously, um, it, it's just um, been been very humbling. To everybody from WWE. You know, once you're you're in, I always say it's kind of like the mafia. They never let you out. Um, <laughs> but my experience um, in WWE. Uh, it's just been amazing. Uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything because it really is like a family, you know, and I still have uh, folks that I talk to on a regular basis that um, if I need something, I know they'll be there. And same way, if they need something for me um, I hope that they know that I'll be there as well. Um, And, and I guess that's what you get because you travel the world together. In many cases you're with, your fellow wrestlers more than you are your own family. Um, Sometimes you're, you know, like in Puerto Rico, you're in uh, pretty dangerous situations where you're relying on the people next to you, even in the ring, man, um, you're putting your life in someone else's hands with some of the things that we do. Um, So I think you do create some very strong bonds that carry on even after uh, you leave the ring.
3: Glenn, you got a term limit. Uh, you got an election coming up again, and uh, looks like you'll be reelected. And if there's any doubt, again, me and Cole will come in and if, <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> whoever your opponents are. I, <laughs> so, talk about baggage. Well, we got we got more skeletons than than the uh, <laughs> More baggage than Laguardia. We'll come in and put them on your uh, opponent. <laughs> and, and, but you're still going to be pretty young when your term limit is up. Do you have any uh, idea of what you want to do further from that? I know you're. I know you're focused on the reelection and all that. Do you have anything on a national level that you want to do, or any any other aspiration? uh Oh, we lost you, Glenn. <laughs>
1: But but you got him win. with that question. No, that national,
3: that nas- national
1: not... politician that they got him, I think.
3: Yeah, no, that that was a sneaky way not to answer
0: the question. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, sorry about that.
2: We're,
0: I'm sorry, no, I was making no, We were making yeah, fun yeah. of Jerry before. I had this thing set to do not disturb and somehow I still get a phone call. Uh sorry. <laughs> <about that. laughs> What was the question, John? I'm so that sorry. That was a great way to avoid it. Yeah. Put, he, he, put, he, put, he
3: put
1: the load right on the Glenn. They put it I'm, on I'm on.
3: I, <laughs> Are there any sorry, aspirations bro. after your term After your term limits have expired? I know you got election first, and you want to be yeah. real. I know you're, that's your focus. But is there any aspirations? Because you're still going to be a young guy in 2026 when the term limit expires.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Um, right now, seriously, uh, I'm concentrating on the re-election campaign. Uh, it's been a challenging couple years. Um, I always tell people that the mayor's job, a lot of fun. I've had the, I have had the two best jobs that anyone could ever have as WWE superstar and also mayor of my hometown. Um, but the past year has been extremely challenging, as you can imagine, just with everything that's going on uh, with the pandemic, the politicization politicalization of everything um, so i'm just really concentrating on on doing the best that i can getting re-elected and hopefully having a successful second term uh, after that i i really you know i don't know what i'm gonna do um i like i like this position um i do feel like i have a positive impact on my community uh which is something that's really what it's all about um it, there's no way I'm ever going to go to Washington, D.C. I just I'm not interested in that. Um, I would be maybe interested in doing something, you know, at the state level, um, because I think that's we we discount the importance of state and local government. You know, we think so much about when we talk government, it's always Washington. Uh, but state and local government has a, an immense impact on our lives. Um, but I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing.
1: I know you have. You and your wife has had an insurance company there for twenty plus years, right? Yeah.
0: No. Actually, she's she's doing real estate. We sold the insurance. Real
1: estate. Did you? Uh, yeah,
0: oh. yeah, yeah. So, and um, she's doing real well in that. I'm very happy about that. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Governor Jacobs to me, uh, Jerry.
3: Well, uh, right. come
0: I, on, Gov. I don't yeah. know about that, man. We'll just we'll just have to see what the future holds at this point. I just, John will
1: sacrifice his body to get set on fire, and I'll carry the gasoline to make sure it gets <laughs> enough gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, and we'll bring Michael Cole, too, and set him on fire, too. I, yeah, know, I like that. <laughs> exactly. Well, Glenn, uh, from Zweig Meter und Zweig Tag Team to – you've had a thousand lifetimes of memories. It's been incredible to watch. It's been incredible from one of your friends to be able to see it from the inside. You know, you're, you're, everybody says this about you. That's amazing. You're one of the good guys, one of the smart guys, one of the good guys and everybody roots for your success. And and you've been, you've carried yourself like a a true uh, hall of famer should. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for uh, being a, a friend all these years and, for for all the continued friendship
0: that we hope to have. Well, thank you very much, John. Um, I've just been incredibly blessed and fortunate. I've been uh, blessed to be in great situations uh, with great people. And, you know, um, I just, when I look back on my life, I can't believe the opportunities that I've been given. And as you said, the memories that I have uh, and, it just shouldn't happen to someone like me. I'm glad that it did, but I'm still trying to figure out how all of this has happened and how I've been as blessed as I have been. Uh, but same here. Uh, you know, it's, it's been great knowing you um, knowing Jerry uh, for so long and, you know, seeing also what you've done, man, you know, and the success that you've had not only in the wrestling ring, but also outside and, uh, of course, you know, Jerry's mentored me early on, and we've been able to maintain that friendship for many years. So I appreciate you all as well. And let's come back sometime and tell some more stories.
1: Glenn, thanks so much for being on and taking your time because we know how busy you are. And uh, we really appreciate it. We have some great guests on, and you're right up there at the top of all of them. Just, just keep those cans of gasoline, too, in your, in your vehicles.
2: and.
1: <laughs> and uh, and I uh, thank you so much for for your time today and your friendship. And John was right, you know, all the guys that we run across in our business, there's there's, there's a few of them that you can say, man, this guy was one of the best guys I've ever been around. And uh, I think ninety nine and nine tenths of the guys in the business, uh, I say that about Glenn Jacobs. And we're we're both proud to call you friends. So thank you so much, bro.
0: Thank you. Appreciate you guys.